we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Please pray with me. Dear Lord in heaven, we invite you to join us here, even in this place this morning. We trust that you are here in our midst, wherever we are gathered. Please let my words be your words and our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a unique situation. Here we are in my living room. You heard that entirely long reading from John chapter 4. It was uh, difficult to decide uh, what to talk about this morning, but I landed on uh, actually starting with a piece of scripture from uh, Romans chapter 5, which rings especially difficult in our ears in light of this current uh, coronavirus outbreak. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. You just heard it. More than that, says St. Paul, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, at first, uh, this doesn't sound helpful at all. It sounds like my dad about to give me a spanking, saying this is going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me. And he would always say that it was going to produce character. Now, even as children, we knew that that wasn't true, that it was actually going to hurt us a lot more than it would hurt him. And since these verses sound so similar, it's easy to think that maybe these aren't true either. I mean, we're called to rejoice in our sufferings. Even this morning, there are almost 6,000 people dead around the world. I'm preaching this sermon from my living room. How, how is it that we can rejoice in suffering? We're told it produces character, but is that Enough? Is that something that we really want? But this morning, despite everything, we are going to get good news about the real truth of these verses. We're going to get ourselves the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, before we try to figure out how these particular two verses in Romans about rejoicing and suffering can be good news, I want to draw our attention to that reading from John 4, the famous and very familiar story of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Jesus is in Samaria on his way to Galilee, and he's tired from his journey, and he comes upon a well and sits down. Now, it's about noon, we read, the hottest part of the day. Ordinarily, when women would go to the well to draw water, they would do that either in the morning or in the late afternoon when it was much cooler to avoid the heat of the sun. Now, this woman, this woman of Samaria who comes to the well on this day has come in the middle of the day when the sun is at its hottest. She's come when she doesn't think anyone is going to be there. Now, as we read, the, the woman was of Samaria, these historic enemies of the Jews. In fact, when Jews would travel from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, as Jesus was doing, they would often walk miles and miles out of their way around Samaria just to literally avoid 
having the dirt from Samaria get onto their feet. This is how ritually unclean the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were descendants of Jews who had intermarried with the Babylonians while the nation of Israel was in exile there. And the the Judaism that they practiced wasn't seen as nearly as clean or as pure as the Judaism practiced by the Jews in other regions of the area. And so as a result, the Samaritans were seen as permanently and ritually unclean, hated, and were to be avoided at all cost. Now, the reason I'm giving you this little bit of history is to help us understand the uniqueness of this interaction that happens here between Jesus and this woman of Samaria. Because first of all, Jesus shouldn't even have been there. He should have done what other Jews did and walk hundreds of miles out of his way around Samaria. And second, he shouldn't have been talking to a woman. As a rabbi, it was completely improper for him to be talking to this unclean woman of Samaria. And yet, they are there together, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And the woman, naturally surprised that Jesus is talking to her at all, says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask of me a drink, a woman of Samaria. And then they have this incredible conversation about the water in the well versus living water and the difference between the two. Jesus explains to the woman that whoever drinks this well water is just going to get thirsty again. There's actually a sign in our local YMCA above the water fountain that quotes this verse. That if you drink of this water, you're just going to get thirsty again. But, says Jesus... Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them will never thirst. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman says exactly what you or I would say. I've got to get some of that water. Sir, she says, where can I get some of that water? And then their interaction continues. We find out that she's been married five times before and is now living with a man who's not her husband and that Jesus somehow knows all of this about her already. And then at the end of the story, Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah that she is waiting for, the Christ, who has come, he says, to show her all things. That's a lot. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the key to understanding that difficult verse about rejoicing in our sufferings, the key to that can be found here in the midst of this conversation between Jesus and this woman from Samaria. I want to call your attention to John 4, verse 10. This is when Jesus answers her. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, remember, the living water that Jesus is referring to here is the water that he says will become a spring of water inside you, welling up to eternal life. If you knew who I was, says Jesus, you would have asked me for this living water. If you knew who I was. Essentially, Jesus is telling the woman, if you knew me, you would have asked me to give you eternal life. Now, to get at what that means, we're going to go back to our reading from Romans. We're sort of doing a ping pong session here. Romans to John, back to Romans. So let's set aside for a moment that difficult couple of verses about suffering 
and listen to these other verses from the Apostle Paul, these sentences, some of the most beautiful and hopeful in all of Scripture. Therefore, he says, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And then verse 6, while we were yet helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's in the middle of these verses of great hope that we find this really hard verse. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, I am struck by my usual feeling in the face of suffering. Uh, are, are we generally happy that we're suffering or that our loved ones are suffering or even that there is suffering on the other side of the world because we know somehow that it's producing endurance, building character, and offering hope? No, even though we know that the Bible claims that this is true, we know that these words are good, at some level we have a hard time accepting that they're actually true. Because most of the time when I encounter suffering in my own life, the, my overriding feeling is helplessness. That's the norm. I see what's going on. I see the suffering, whether it's in my life or in others, and I just don't know what to do so often. This current situation is a perfect example. I'm sitting on my couch the other night watching an NBA game like I often do, and all of a sudden they announce that the season has been suspended. And all of a sudden, the schools are canceled for two weeks. My children are asleep. My wife is out of town, and I just don't know what to do. I'm sitting there on my couch, helpless. It was a strange and unnerving feeling. But there is good news in the face of helplessness. This is it. This is the gospel in a nutshell. The good news about Jesus Christ is that God helps the helpless. Now, the more common saying, of course, is that God helps those who help themselves, but that's not true. God helps the helpless. God saves the helpless. Listen again to those hopeful words. While we were yet helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the most beautiful verse of all, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And this doesn't say that God helps those who help themselves. This says that God helps those who realize that they can't help themselves. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, he reconciled us to himself. There's something very important here. 
if God helps those who help themselves, then we have no hope except in ourselves. And we all know deep in our hearts or maybe even closer to the surface that we are going to let ourselves down, that hope in ourselves is ultimately hope in something that's not going to work. We can't help ourselves because it is our lives that are falling apart when every day seems to bring darker and darker news. The woman at the well was helpless. She was a historical enemy of God. She was unclean. She was an outcast even from her own unclean society, forced to go to the well during the hottest part of the day so she wouldn't even meet anyone. She was helpless in her love life. She was living with a man who wasn't her husband after having been unsuccessfully married five times. She was, in fact, so helpless that she came face to face with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who could help her, who could save her, and she didn't even know him. This is helplessness. He asks her for a drink and she argues with him. This is what prompted Jesus to say, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water, for eternal life. Now, like the woman at the well, we are helpless. We live in a fallen, sinful world. It it is all around us. We are fallen and sinful ourselves. We are helpless against our awful thoughts, our hateful words, our evil intentions. We are helpless against viruses and diseases. We are helpless against tragedy and death. But thank God, his promise is not to help those who can help themselves. We are helpless and God promises his help to us, to the helpless. It is to people like us, the helpless, the sinners, the enemies of God, the women at the well for whom Jesus came and for whom Jesus came to die and to live again. We are, each one of us, that woman at the well. We're too helpless to even often recognize what Jesus can do and has done for us. We are desperate to hold on to the idea that God helps those who help themselves because we desperately want Jesus to look at us and be proud of us for all the good things that we're doing. Jesus, though, wants us to look at ourselves and realize that we are helpless and that we are in desperate need of him. Now, St. Paul knows that sin affects every aspect of our lives. Our lives are hard. We can't get the job we really want. The person we love doesn't love us back. We get sick. We die. And we often think that being a Christian should spare us from these sufferings of life. Or worse, we think that if we suffer, it means that we're not good enough, that we're not working hard enough, not praying enough, not reading our Bibles enough that we suffer because we're not close enough to God. But that's not what suffering means. We are new creations, but we still live in this fallen world and we still sin. We live, each one of us, in this weird limbo where we are saved and yet still sinners at the same time. This world where we confess 
and repent and return to the Lord again and again and again. We are saved and yet sinners. And it is this sin in us that makes it so hard to deal with suffering. But we have hope. And it is hope in the fact, the truth, that Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to redeem sufferers. We know Jesus. And this changes everything. When Paul says that we should rejoice in our sufferings, he realizes that suffering is just evidence of our helplessness. And we rejoice because recognizing our need brings us one step closer to reaching out for that life raft. Brings us one step closer to asking Jesus for that living water. And this kind of suffering, when it reminds us that God helps the helpless, will lead to endurance, character, and hope. Hope that our story doesn't end here. And it doesn't. Our story is that while we were helpless, Christ came and died for us. While you were an enemy of God, Christ died for you. And now, because you know Jesus, a spring of living water wells up inside you, welling up to eternal life. You who were helpless, are saved. Amen.